Hello again, everybody. Welcome back. This is Julie Knudsen with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 156. And for anyone that's new to this podcast, or this is the first one of them they listen to, this is a podcast about dogs in general, uh, retrievers often more specifically, sometimes retrievers that point even more specifically, and maybe most of all about the people that own the dogs and the rela- relationship with the dog and working things out. So it's not so, it's a little bit of a how-to, but it's a lot about what to think about, what you're doing. So join us on this journey. We have a lot of exciting things going on here. Today's episode is going to be my always uh, G update. And then we're going to, I'm going to have a little bit of a series uh, mixed in with some other things on dog types and raising and training kind of specific dog types, because I think that is information that might be useful to people out there that have a puppy or had a puppy and couldn't quite understand what was happening. Anyway, we'll get into that. I'm going to talk about G. So G is pretty much force fetched. I had to go pretty hard on her, pretty tough. Um, to get that going on her because she just has a little bit of a, Hey, Hey, this is good enough. You know, kind of cool it like a teenager type thing. And finally, you know, and I was kind of being patient, like I said in here and finally I went, all right, I'm done. (laughs) Being patient. You're going to fetch this flipping thing off the ground and you're going to do it. So, uh, when she finally realized that I was going to be consistent that way and serious, then she kind of got, she quickened up and got right to it. So, Again, her sister isn't so much that way. Her sister is that way. She'll pop down on the ground and pick it up and then make her time if I have her go like fetch forward and then come back to the heel position. She just gets around in the heel position in her own due time. So they both have a little bit of that, hey, man, you're just don't push me in different places. Um, so we'll just, you know, I've already addressed it a little bit on obedience and now I'm addressing it on the force fetch. So we'll keep going. But now I know to look for it and be prepared for it and kind of how to deal with it, which is a mixture of a little bit of patience and a little bit of, okay, I waited enough. Let's just get serious. So that's, and it works with these guys. So that's where we are. Um, we did Upland last week and it's, we've had a tremendous amount of rain, way more rain than Seattle or Portland, apparently. So we've had a lot of rain. So the grass is like thigh high, which is not really normal for us and very thick. And it's been very warm and very humid. So it's like we're living in Missouri instead of here. And so when we went out and did birds, um, that was, so, it was just so thick and, and damp and no wind and warm. So she caught her first bird and didn't catch her second bird. And a lot of the dogs just did not look their normal proficiency because of the conditions. So I'll just caution people that are doing upland birds when they can. One, to keep the emotion out of it, if you can. I know that's easier said than done. But in reality, you know, there's a lot more factors at play than what you want and what you expect to get out of this. So, you know, when you've got nature and the environment and your dog and all this stuff, sometimes things go extraordinarily well. And sometimes they go the opposite of that, just really not very well. And I just encourage people, if you're in this for the long haul, take what you get that day, leave the emotion out of it, you know, and just understand that sometimes there's things that uh, prevail over you that uh, control the situation. 
As far as the retrieving with G, uh, really good. We had some really hard marks that we've done this past week with some elements to them. Um, not so much distance, but just a lot of elements to them. And she just seems to do really quite well uh, with that, just figuring it out. So very happy with that. So we're bumping along with imperfections and issues because that's how this goes. And so I'm telling you about them. I still think she's going to wind up just being fantastic. But I just tell you, you know, sometimes the stuff that happens in the middle of it so people don't get too disheartened. So what I'm going to talk about today, uh, I, I'm going to isolate one specific dog type and I hope to do several others. But I'm going to talk about what is conventionally called uh, the soft dog. And people have uh, different ideas about what soft is. If you ever talk to them, you know, what's, what's somebody's idea of a soft dog? So I'm going to make sure it's real clear what I'm talking about when I say a soft dog. A dog that is soft, it has nothing to do with their intelligence. It has nothing to do with their talent. It has not a lot to do with their, uh, what do people call it, prey drive. You know, their intensity about the work that they're doing. It has everything to do about their psychological and emotional and to a degree physical state, how they are, just like soft people. And I would call myself uh, a soft people. And I know people that are around me all the time are going, are you, are you kidding? <laughs> but yes, I would call myself a soft person. That's one of the reasons that I've always been relatively successful with soft dogs, I think because I do understand a little bit about what's going on in their heads and hearts while you're training them. So I want to talk about raising the soft puppy, identifying the soft puppy, and then the training of a dog that is soft. Now, how does soft manifest itself um, in a dog so you know what you're talking about? So when you have a little puppy, and let's just say um, another puppy might, uh, you know, attack it or knock it over, or run it into something, and the dog is is visually perturbed by that versus incited by that to reattack the other puppy. I mean, when they when things that are unexpected, you know, really surprise them, you know, they may be they may withdraw just a little bit or they may be a little taken aback um versus you know just the fire breathing dragon that whatever you do do it doesn't matter it's just going to come back at you harder so a dog that sometimes uh is is visibly affected by something unexpected or something fairly dramatic that may be a soft dog it, a soft dog may be and along that if like say the first time you put a little collar on it or something and a leash and you're going to have it walk with you and instead of resisting and fighting and swirling around and all that they're a little bit taken aback by that and they just freeze they don't know what this thing around their neck is now and now you're pulling on them and they're a little bit Again, something unexpected, something new, they're a little taken aback. And there's a million ways that this can, uh, that, that this can manifest. Let's say uh, you bring it home. You bring a new puppy home and it's just like, oh, what happened? <laughs> where is mom? What's happening? What is this place? Versus the puppy where you set them down in your house and they are off and they are chasing the cat and tearing at the shoes already. Okay, that's not a what I would classify as a soft dog, but one that comes in and is like a little bit overwhelmed by something kind of unexpected. 
And so again, I keep describing different behaviors that are the same response, you know, when they're just like, whoa, wait a minute, what is this? So there's a, again, I could go on and on, you know, different food. Oh, this is not my normal food. I'm not sure uh, that's kind of rare in the retriever guys, but that does happen. So the first thing that I think is important is to recognize that you have a dog that is of this nature. It does not mean that this dog is not going to be fully capable of doing whatever it is you want it to do. Uh, you know, it's we're hopeful that you bought, you got a dog that, you know, from a pedigree and lines where the things you're looking for are present. So that you know, I'm going to bump through this kind of this, I get a little overwhelmed attitude and I'm just going to work through it. And it's very, very doable if you understand what you're working with. So when you have a little puppy that is taken aback by unexpected or new things um, or things that impact them physically or things that impact them visually, it could be, there's so many ways, you know, and they're not all the same but they're impacted a number of ways by stuff, which basically causes them to just maybe take a step back or stop for a second to assess the situation and see if they're going to be okay or not. So when you have that puppy, one, understand it. Two, what you want to do raising this dog, let's don't cater to it. Let's don't care. Oh no, look, they're scared. And every time they're scared, you go pick them up and hold them. Okay. You're training them. Hey, anytime anything shakes you up, just run to me and I'll pick you up off the ground, get your feet up on me. So later you can start jumping on me when you're insecure and I will just make you feel better. That does not address the situation. So when you have a dog, that's like that, and it's a little puppy. And you recognize these things where everything, whoa, it gets a little rattled over different things. For one, you want to then proceed in raising this dog and slowly getting it to understand when you see something new or you're somewhere new or you experience something new, it's going to be okay. So you need to have that perspective. So with a little puppy, it comes home, it's a little scared, right? So just sit down next to it. Don't pick it up and coddle it like, oh, I know you're afraid. I'll make you feel better. Don't do that. Sit down next to it and just let it kind of absorb things and breathe stuff in, right? Um, if it's then one of the best things you can do again for a dog like this is take this puppy and this dog on the walk, on the walk, my walk, the official walk, where you take this little dog to someplace that's safe. In the beginning, it might be your big backyard. But, or somewhere, just somewhere where you set the little dog down and it's just the two of you, not the other dogs, not the other things. And you take off for a little walk. In the beginning, the dog might be just really overwhelmed by that. That's okay. Then do it again the next day and the next day until this becomes a place of security because you always do it. It's consistent. It's in different places. You're always there and it begins to become interesting once they realize they're not in any kind of danger. And so now they begin, we tap into a little bit of that robust thing. Now, if you have other dogs and you have, you bring this little puppy in, right? Do not, uh, do not turn this puppy over to the, your other dog to teach it to be like it. 
I know that happens a lot. Oh, this little fearful dog. She can hang out with Fang for a while and he'll get her like he is. And what will happen most of the time is she will just become Fang's groupie and she will just follow the lead of Fang and she will go where Fang goes and do, do, do what Fang does. And that in no way gives her any independence. And I'm making it a her. I don't know why. She gets no independence that way. She now has something that she is attached to that will brave everything for her, do all the thinking for her, do all the emotional development for her. So she just becomes even more um, internalized and not very capable of dealing with the big wide world on her own. So when you have a dog like this, the last thing you want to do is turn it over to your other dog to get her to see the world the right way, because that's not usually what's going to happen. This is the thing which should be between you and the puppy. Don't overwhelm a puppy with your four kids all screaming and throwing stuff and trying to get the dog. You know, that's a little bit much. Everyone should be able to interface with the dog and enjoy the dog. But do it maybe in the beginning a little bit one by one before you have the big circus thing going on. It's a lot. You can just think of a lot of ways to make it in the beginning a little bit easier on this dog. The other, okay, so you're going to be careful in the number of introductions and activities you have. Do not turn this puppy over to another dog at all ever. And for heaven's sakes, don't put them both in the yard outside together or the kennel outside together. Because again, then she just becomes the groupie of Fang and she develops no independence, no sense of her own self. So please do not do that when you have a dog like this, actually with anyone, but certainly not with these dogs. So we want to introduce new things independently and a little bit more slowly but consistently and do it and don't feed into any fear. If she's fearful, just continue to do what you're doing. And the fear, when she finds out there's no reason for it, then it will begin to fade away. Do that walk. That's one of the best things in the world for these dogs to begin to learn that the world is a cool place and there's wonderful smells and icky things to eat and experiences to have and it's all with you and you become the source of things that bring this dog its greatest pleasure. So the walk is real important. Now whatever kind of dog you have, whatever kind, whatever their thing is, all right, so if you have a uh, Australian Shepherd or a Border Collie, then their thing is getting out there and moving things around and uh, whatever, the, how they do, right? And other dogs have, some are protective dogs. Um, some are little hunters. Well, I'm going to talk about retrievers. So you have this retriever puppy that you got presumably uh, for something related to retrieving. And even if you didn't, do it anyway because it's a retriever. It's like having a kid that could be a pianist that's never allowed near a musical instrument. Don't do that. So we'll take the retrieving. Let's, let's develop this thing that's on its DNA and probably the reason you got the dog. Let's develop this at the same time. Not in the living room with four kids running around screaming, chasing a ball, right? Actually out on your walk when it's just the two of you together and you have your little throwing, whatever it is, the thing. You don't just, th don't throw sticks. Don't throw sticks because then all sticks are fair game. And if you're trying to train this dog a little bit, let's don't have everything be fair game. Let's have your puppy, you know, whether it's a rolled up sock in the beginning or your puppy bumper, you get this out at a certain spot and then you do a couple throws. 
All right. In the, in the beginning, maybe the dog, you know, just does it great. Maybe it doesn't rub it on it, get it, just throw it a little bit, get it to grab it in its mouth until they can associate this retrieving thing. And then you do two or three. That's all. Two or three. Not more is better because more is the opposite of better. Whether you have seen that or not, that's the case. So one, tap into this dog's heart and soul and their DNA and their epigenetics that they bring with them with this puppy bumper and do a few retrieves. Then put it away and continue to walk. So we're tapping into different parts of this dog one piece at a time so that we can we can bring out all of the robustness, all of the talent, all of the stuff without overwhelming it. The other thing that I think would be very important to do with a dog like this, and all dogs, I'm saying all dogs, but good Lord, it's important with this dog, is have time where this little dog is by itself. Whether it's a kennel that you have, you know, whether it's a, a, a area of the yard where they can be, even if it's its crate. When you have a dog like this that has some insecurities or some concerns about things, the last thing you want to do is spend every minute with it all the time. And if it's not with you, then it's with Fang. So it's always got something to lean on. Start at eight weeks. Start from the very beginning and do your various things with this dog. Best time is go do your walk, right? Go do your walk. Do a couple retrieves, do that wonderful outdoor environmental interaction thing, and then come back, you know, give it a little breakfast or whatever, and then put it in its place by itself. By itself is not in the living room, facing everyone in a crate, watching all the activity. By itself is by itself, outside preferably, weather allowing, you know, somewhere away, so that this dog begins to learn from the very beginning before it knows anything, that sometimes I'm tired, and I rest, and I'm all by myself, and I'm okay. This is very, very important, and it's, this doesn't just go with retrievers, folks. This goes with every kind of dog, and I don't care whether you got a chihuahua or a mastiff, these dogs, if you start at eight weeks and teach them, life is full of these wonderful things that we do together. I am your teacher. I am, I am your, your spirit guide here. And I'm also the one that you can trust. And there's times when we're done, when I go do my thing and you spend your time alone. And that way you let these little guys develop a sense of, okay, I've done my thing. You know, I went out and I did my job. I worked my school, whatever you want to call it. They went and did something that added value to your life and their lives. They, they were physically busy. They were uh, mentally busy because they were exploring the smells, you know, the various icky things to eat, how to get over a log, how to get through a little bit of water. Okay, that's a big deal to a little puppy. And they did all that stuff. And then it was physical and it was mental. And then you were there and this connection is growing and growing. And then after all that, when they get a little bit of food, so they feel nice and full and satiated, then you put them somewhere and they're very quiet. And they spend that time alone. This is priceless. Time alone is priceless. All this stuff you're saving from later on, when you get these little guys that could be soft or needy, and you respond to that and they just are always catered to and always taken care of. And then suddenly when you need them, you know, you need to go 
and you need to leave them there and they're howling and screaming and the neighbor says your dog barks nonstop, that stuff can all be prevented from the very beginning. It's really hard to cure an insecurity that you created and developed and grew and nurtured. Really hard to cure that. So the answer is don't ever, ever let that initiate or start. And it's much easier on a little eight-week-old puppy for a week or two to have it kind of be going, what the, hey, what's the deal here? If, when you leave them alone. But if you go do that, the big walk, so they're physically tired, they're mentally tired figuring out stuff, you know, they're emotionally, they've spent their time with you, you guys have had your rewarding things, then they eat, what is an ideal time for them to learn, I'm just going to fall asleep and rest for a while. And then you make that a consistent behavior, then being on their own becomes a very positive thing. And with soft dogs, that's a very good thing to do. Okay, so that's heavily the puppy part. Now, as they begin to grow up and they get a little bit older, I know that life makes this very difficult. I know that. But what you want to do is get your dog to experience uh, more unknown things so that unknown or unexpected things become part of the deal. It's just part of their life instead of, whoa, I've never been here. I've never seen this. I've never ridden in this part of the vehicle. I've never, so we don't need any of that. So, um, you know, someday don't take them for a walk down the, into the open space or, you know, the green belt, but take them down the street, down the street, stop at lights. There's traffic, there's cars, you know, make sure they're in a safe situation, but teach them sometimes you know, you're in places where there's traffic. Now, we don't want them to know about traffic and we don't want them in it. But it, you want to or take them to a parking lot and just walk around the circumference of the parking lot outside where they're safe. So there's things happening, a little bit uh, daunting, but they're with you and so that's good. And sometimes, you know, they go in the PetSmart store with you with all everybody and their dogs and all this good smells and stuff. Sometimes we do that. And sometimes you, you go somewhere and then you sit in the crate in the vehicle and you don't come out. And sometimes we go over to scary stuff on our walks. There's a big down, you know, a lot of times when the first time they ever see a big tree that fell down, I don't know why, that's really scary. So walk them to every tree that fell down. Walk them to anything that, you know, is a little bit intimidating to them. Don't force anything. Just walk up to it. I had a dog the other day afraid of a silhouette of a person that we use on pattern blinds just oh my gosh it was just frightening barking and everything new dog I had so I just walked over had a, the long cord on it's dog didn't have to be right next to me I walked over and I just touched it and I was just touching it and standing there and slowly the dog worked over oh scary and came over and then started sniffing it and then suddenly realized ah piece of wood and then we just moved on so I just took a little bit of time hey when you see some person looking thing out there you go ahead and panic if you want, but eventually go over and find out what it is and assure yourself that you're okay. So on a slightly, as their dog's maturing, I'm not saying always take them everywhere with you. Um, you don't have to do that, but when you do things with it, do things that um, are new. Uh, now, I don't vote on let your dog meet every dog in the planet out there. I don't, that is, I just so disagree with that. Go, don't, the dog park, it, that is the most negative, bad thing you can ever do with the dog. Let's turn them loose so they completely disconnect from you and run chaotic wild. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll either be totally overwhelmed or they'll love that. Neither one of those is good. 
right? So this needs to be a thing where you guys are together because that's why you got the dog. And you sometimes see other dogs. That doesn't mean you run over there. I've got you on the leash or the cord or whatever. And you get used to life where there's other people and other dogs, but they don't involve you. Again, if you're walking down a trail and I'm coming the other direction, I don't want your dog on me. I don't want your dog on my dogs. I don't want to see your dog. I'm there to do my thing on the trail. And that's what most of everyone else, they're not there to go and celebrate your animal. And so, and I don't expect you to have any interest in the one I've got with me. So teach your dog that very same thing. Sometimes we go out where there's people and dogs and you can watch them and go, yeah, that's cool. But we're together and teach them that from the beginning. And then we don't have that crazy, my dog wants to go attack and run and chase every other dog. No one likes that. Just nobody. Um, so teach your dog all the stuff you want just through your regular daily interactions. And then with your soft dog, now let's get back to some training stuff. So we want to do some training. Right? So we've been developing this high desire to retrieve. And we're also at the same time developing uh, the understanding of the environment and what the, what's out there. Sticky stuff. Cactus. I, every dog I have learns how to negotiate cactus. And they all have to, most of them learn the hard way. <laughs> they either stick their face in there sniffing it or they step on it. And I let them do that, even the little scaredy soft ones. And pretty soon they quit doing it anymore. So I expose them to things that they may encounter in their field work. But I don't do it at the same time that we're going to be doing this big set of marks and all this kind of stuff. And we're going to introduce the gun and we're going to not, you know, just one thing at a time. And the gun on a soft dog, I have had no problems with guns and soft dogs as I would with fire breathing dragons and guns. I develop the desire to retrieve, start with a small pop out there associated with the high desire to retrieve, and pretty soon the gun means great things. So that's not, you know, what's more important is that you taught them. Sometimes there's new stuff, but we're okay. And you start that from the very beginning and you work with them. Now on the difficult stuff, like let's talk about strict obedience or force fetching or things that are pretty absolute. So what happens I see many times is people are very concerned because they have a soft dog, right? Oh, geez, I'll never be able to use the electric collar on this dog. I'll never be able to, all, all not true. All of that's not true. But if you have a soft dog and one day you decide to strap on an electric collar and start using a new form of training pressure, that's going to be extremely overwhelming. So when you have soft dogs... And you're going to start teaching them, let's say, obedience, heel and set. And of course, for me, obedience is pretty absolute. I say sit once and then we're done. And heel means bit my side, period. So when you teach that, you have, and again, I'm a choke chain and a leash person, not a prong collar, not, not a flat collar, nothing, just the choke chain and the leash. So I have one quick impulse and then no pressure anymore. So I'll take my soft dog and we've been doing all this stuff and the dog has a trust in me so when I put on that leash and collar we're gonna you're just gonna walk on my left side or whatever side you're gonna walk and sit and in the beginning I'm just gonna push your bottom down on sit and I'm just gonna use the leash to make sure you go with me until they're comfortable with that and then I'm gonna start constricting the requirements and I don't ever do an abrupt change on any of the enforcement that I do so first we're just on a leash and we're walking and then we sit 
and I show you what I want. I teach you what these things mean. And depending on the intelligence level and the sensitivity, right, I will teach until I know that you have it. And that's usually a matter of days. That's all. Now I'm going to get a little bit more. I'm, I'm, I'm restricting, I'm constricting on my requirements. So now I want you right by my side when we walk and I want you to sit down quickly. So I'm going to do the jerk up on the leash and I might use a tap of something on the bottom, but they already know me and they know how I am. So they're like, okay, I'm sitting. That's the mental and emo emotional response I'm getting. Not, oh my God, what did you just do by something abrupt and unexpected, but just by showing them and then beginning to enforce slightly. And as soon as they understand the enforcement, which is the pop on the bottom or the jerk on the chain up, um, none of it overwhelming, none of it unexpected. When as soon as they understand that, then I can come in with a fairly strict enforcement for which them isn't probably going to be a big deal like it is the guys on the other side of that spectrum. Then I have that. So then whatever, when they understand enforcement pressure on basic obedience and I can do it and a jerk on the chain toward me and that kind of thing and they understand it and they learn how to control it by responding then you can put in other forms of pressure on these dogs later on when you need more of a remote pressure. And of course you don't, it, you, you, you don't start too low. Now don't ever do that. Don't start just with any dog, but particularly with these guys, if you're going to use enforcement pressure, obviously we don't start at the top, the biggest enforcement pressure we got. We don't, you know, use a healing stick and just whip on that bottom. We don't do that on these guys. Uh, it would be a tap with a little plastic thing. That's what it would be. But if you start too low, then they learn to ignore you and that what you're enforcing doesn't really mean it. You're not really serious. Your, when you start, it still has to be at a level that they understand you're serious about them carrying out whatever it is you ask them to do. That's real important. Don't go big and high because you don't ever have to. And don't go too low, which is what people like to do. So if you do switch over to the electric collar on this stuff, once you've got good response, good enforcement, understand of, understanding on the part of the dog of all this stuff, don't start at a one. You know, you, you might, you don't have to start very high, but don't start so low that it almost doesn't exist because then they're going to learn one, that the collars just this little nothing. And then suddenly when you have to turn it up a little bit, cause you're going to have to, now we're like, holy cow, what was that? So learn your dog's responses, learn what level of enforcement pressure, whether it's mechanical or electrical or whatever it is that communicates just what you need to and not more than it's not a punishment and not so little that they're not really responding to it. So be cautious about that. That's one of the probably more difficult things about a soft dog is you can't go too high, but you can't go too low and you can figure it out. And if you make a little mistake, if you are a little too low and they're not really paying attention, or if you're a little too high and they were like, holy crap, don't worry about it. Just readjust your setting, continue on like nothing really happened and they will absorb that thing from you. Cause these soft guys are very good at absorbing your feelings, your things. That's why you don't want them fang raising them cause then they'll just absorb fang. You want them to absorb what you think about all this and what your perspective is.
and then they can do extremely well. So when you go into it this way with the soft dog, you don't have an inferior animal. You just have an animal that takes some awareness and some adjustments and a, just a little bit of patience in how you work through all of this. So I hope that makes sense. And again, it goes to little tiny dogs, great big dogs. Um, you adjust things for the intelligence so that, you, you know, it may take longer to teach them stuff. It's always consistency. It's always simplicity, one thing at a time. And it's always the two of you, not the whole family and the dog or Fang and the dog. It's the two of you. And that's what can make you be very successful. And yes, everyone else can factor in later, but make sure you develop the perspective and the trust in this dog, and then you can have maximum use of their abilities and talents. So that's today, half hour. Didn't go over too long. I hope that's helpful to people uh, with these kind of dogs. There, there's a lot of them. And people get very frustrated by them because they're training them the way they want to train instead of training what they've got. And so as a person that's gone through this life, myself is one of the softer people, even though it may not seem like it, I, I truly understand where these dogs are coming from. And so it's easier for me to deal with them. And then somebody that's not that kind of a person doesn't, they, they don't feel what the animal's feeling. So they have to think about it more and be aware of it a little bit more. So I'm, I hope I've helped people with that. Meanwhile, summertime, things are warm. Keep your dogs hydrated and not overheated and uh, safe. Watch for snakes. Good Lord, we've, and ticks. Never saw a better tick year in my entire life. So I could tell gross tick stories. It's just, they're everywhere. So everybody be careful, dog and people. And uh, I'll try not to be a few days late on the next one and be back with the latest, latest G update. And I hope everybody stays safe and healthy.